EcoHealth, your internet radio. Okay, and we are back on the road trip show here on Radio EcoHealth. It's it's madness. It's madness and panic. Uh, last week, Friday, we were good by Friday afternoon. I'm a member of a good couple of Facebook groups, and one of the one of the groups I'm a member of is a thing called the National Federation of Tourist Guides. Oh, yeah. And they did a quick survey, snap survey, on what kind of money has been lost through cancellations, etc., etc. They published, I think it was on Saturday or Sunday morning, that we're looking at just at that stage of one little survey, 23 billion rand with a B. Billion. 23 billion rand gone for the tourist season this year through December, January, February, March, April. That's just ridiculous it's, amount of money. It's and it's so sad because the tourism industry has been hanging on by their fingernails for two years, yeah. and the guys that had managed to survive by hook or by crook had managed to survive were sort of hanging on, and they had bookings. I had bookings. I had magic bookings. I had two, one massive tour coach, coach group, two coaches together, eighty-five people, eighty-six people, or something. Yeah, one little private tour. Those are gone. Now, multiply 86 people out by average 3,000 U.S. per person. Yeah. That's the turnover that my business has lost. Sure. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking when you've just survived two years of nothing, of literally – and I I had a friend of mine phoning me from the airport in Cape Town in tears. Yeah. He'd just finished one little short tour. He was waiting for his other group of the operator to phone him and said, go home. Group's cancelled. Yeah. Right then and there, sort of on the spot. He's literally waiting for them to walk, walk out. Yes. Tourists got turned around and got sent home. Oh, that's... Madness. It's absolute it's madness. madness. Yeah. It's, heart, it's, more, it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And I suppose a lot of uh, you guys are completely... <laughs> this is uh, really going to do damage. Huge damage. It's... You said something about these people that you know of that actually committed suicide over... I've, I've already got... Not people I know directly, but I know of two people that have already committed suicide because of this. Sure. They've been hanging on for two years. I get it. I actually understand it. You've been hanging on for two years. It's there. It's literally at your fingertips. And it gets ripped away. And through no fault of our own. It's not South Africa's fault. It's not our fault. It's crazy decisions by the U.S., by by Great Britain. It's it's, It's insane. It's madness. (laughs) It's actually... Laughable. Uh, some of the stuff that I've heard, um, now it's coming out of Africa. Now suddenly the whole of Africa is shut down because of this. Well, it's, it's ridiculous. There's a couple of interesting kind of correlations. I mean, if you look at it, the US, Great Britain, the EU, all these guys, I mean, 30 or 35 countries suddenly impose travel bans on South Africa. Yeah. And it's basically SADC. So it's South Africa, Mozambique, Botswana, Namibia. Yeah. You know, and they've all got nothing to do with it. We've got one of the lowest infection rates in the world. Yeah. We've got one of the highest recovery rates in the world. It's and <laughs> yet we get we get punished for this for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, places like Germany, I mean, they're getting, I don't know, 700,000 cases or something insane. But that's cool. You can go across the border in the EU, yeah. but, but you can't come to South Africa. Apparently, even the UK has got very high numbers. The UK has also got massively high numbers. The UK did, however, do a bit of a turnaround. They, they did a travel ban, and I think they reinstated one flight a day from yesterday or something. Yeah. But again, with restrictions, and if you come here, you go back, you've got to be in quarantine for another 14 days or something. Now, who can afford to go on holiday and then go home and sit, you know, sit at home for 14 days? Yeah. It's, it's in effect, it's the same as saying, just not allowed to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's, absolutely, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And funny enough, I even saw it. I even saw it on, my, on, on the podcast and the podcast downloads Yeah, where, I mean, we were chatting just now. I think the, about a week, week and a half before the lockdown, we had, I think, what did I say, 35, 35 downloads on a day. Yeah. And it, it went down another couple of days, 25, 27, you know, 30 odd downloads from yeah. Friday after the travel ban was implemented. Implemented. It dropped to yeah. zero. Jeez. I've had one, one download, I think, on, last, on, on Sunday. Sure. It's, 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 yeah. And that's <laughs> and that's a podcast. You can't you can get COVID listen. from a podcast. You can't get COVID from a podcast. <laughs> People, you can download the podcast. You're, you're not, not going to get gonna, COVID. There's no virus coming down through the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, but it's, it's incredible. That's how all this stuff just ties together. Yeah. And uh, 
The, the, the good news, the good news is, though, that we got notification this morning that um, my partner in crime on the, on the mobile app, uh, Emil Kutsia, who's busy with his PhD in history at the University of Northwest University, yeah. got official um, recognition today. So we officially partnered and we've got official endorsement for our work and our history and our accuracy and our information oh, awesome. on the app through Northwest University. So we put those links up on our, all, our, all our social media sites as well. So that's a, oh, that's a massive that's tick, awesome. guys. So what that's telling you is basically the informa- information that we're giving you on history and on the sites and where and what and how and who yeah. is, is accurate. It's good info. Yeah. There's lots of nonsense websites out there. Myself and Emil always have a lot of giggles. There's a couple of real sort of propaganda type websites that yeah. I'm not going to name it because it's going to get me into trouble. Yeah. But there's one <laughs> there's one South African history website that if a student at the university uses that as a reference, they give him zero. Oh, <laughs> entire entire history website. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, He's yeah. not allowed to. They're not allowed to use that website. As a reference or as a source of info. Yeah. So there's a lot of rubbish out there, guys. So understand that when you're reading history sites and stuff, there is an awful lot of nonsense being put out there as history, but as under the guise of propaganda and yeah. political nonsense and all the rest of it. Yeah. So we, we've got our, our tick. We're a university-endorsed app, university-endorsed info on our app, and it's been recognized as our app now being part of sort of the cultural history and the cultural heritage of South Africa and preserving the cultural heritage Yes. And the historical value of all these different spots. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. So that's really, on no, that. that's really cool. That's a big that's a big tick for us. So yeah. if you were hesitant to down, downloading the app now, now that you're not allowed to travel, please download the app. You can do a virtual travel and you know that you're getting good info from us. Yes. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> Where are we going today? Well, we've done our Kruger Park thing. There's still herds to talk about in the Kruger Park, but we can go into Kruger Park again or some of the other national parks maybe at some stage before we tackle Kruger again. But I thought what we do today is we'd start on uh, the areas that are known as the Panorama Route. The Panorama Route is a staple on any itinerary in South Africa, but most people regard the Panorama Route as just the little areas that are from Kraskop, and you go through Saab, a couple of waterfalls, Blight River Canyon, etc. And we'll get into each of those little spots as the show goes on. But yeah. I want to start actually <laughs> south of the Kruger Park and Swaziland, now called Eswatini. They did a name change a little while ago. will feature at some stage as well. But there's a corridor of land between Eswatini and the Kruger Park, which when you come out of Eswatini, there's, there's, there's two main roads that come out of there. And the one is through the Mananga border gate, which is the closest one to Mozambique. And it's actually an interesting one because a lot of people use Mananga and a quick route through Swaziland as an alternative route through instead of going through Kamatiput. Yeah. Because Kamatiput is always a shambles. There's kilometers of trucks and a gazillion people trying to, in inverted commas, help you and scam you and help you through the border. It's a nightmare. Kamatiput (laughs) normally is a nightmare. So what a lot of people do is they head down towards Mozambique and they go through Mananga. They do like 100 k's through Swaziland, hit a border post between Swaziland and Mozambique and get into Mozambique that way. It's a bit of a detour, but what you say, what you're using on on distance, you more than enough save in the time time that Kamaliput would take you. (laughs) But there's one interesting spot right down on the border there near near the Mananga border gate at a place called Mbuzini, which is the Samora Michelle Monument Museum. Samora Michel was the um, prime minister of, or the, the, the state president, rather, of Mozambique. And he died there in a plane crash. Oh, okay. Many, many, many years ago. Um, we're talking about 1986, 19th of October, 1986. Okay. And he died on South African soil. So, of course, at that stage, height of apartheid, and it was a yeah. huge thing. And he was in an, in an old Russian aeroplane. The Russians had given a so-called presidential aeroplane. <laughs> it was an ancient thing. It was an old uh, Tupolev Tu-134 with a couple of his ministers. And a whole lot of speculation came out. And I, I, remember, I remember the speculation. I mean, it's the height of apartheid, 1986. Yeah. And the crash happened. 
And immediately from, from Mozambique and from the Russians came the allegations that we'd lured the aeroplane into the mountains using a false landing beacon. Oh, my Because soul. you're very close to Maputo. Remember, you're, you're yeah. like 60, 70 kilometers out of Maputo. Yeah. So you're on okay. the approach paths and things, so, you know, for, for, for Maputo International. So immediately there were all sorts of allegations that we put up a fake beacon on the mountains and forced the plane to crash into the mountain and given the pilot false information, all sorts of nonsense came out. And, of course, all the counterclaims from South Africa, no, 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 it's an ancient aeroplane and the thing had an old radio that wasn't working and the pilots were full of vodka and, you know. <laughs> so, and I don't think the actual stories ever really come out as to what, what actually caused that crash. It was just maybe one of those things. That's sort of better to be forgotten. But I thought the Russians actually work better with vodka in their heart. <laughs> yeah, no, let's, not, let's, not, let's not get on the wrong side of all the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a little museum and a, and a, and a spot at, at, the, at the crash site. So if you're going down that road, it's, a, it's, it's worth a little detour to actually go and have a look at that little spot. The rest of that area, I mean, there's two... <coughs> sorry, man. There's two, there's two main roads that come out of Swaziland. You've got... Uh, like I said, you've got that, that road that comes up through um, through the Mananga border post. And the other one you've got is through Jeppe's Reef. Now, that entire area, lots and lots of places have got the name Reef because it was gold mining areas. Oh, yeah. That yeah. entire geological system from Swaziland, from right, almost, almost from um, Mbaban, a little bit north of Mbaban, through Pig's Peak, yes. starts off with the gold bearing reef. That goes through Jeppe's Reef, right through to Barberton, Barberton up into Leidenberg, Leidenberg Sabi. Wow. That's all part of that same geological system, and there's gold in them, thar hills. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of those places have got a mining town history, and a lot of them have got mining, um, mining for gold. Yeah. All those roads, however, I mean, especially the one from Jeppe's Reef. The Jeppe's Reef is the main road that you, you carry on, and you eventually hit the, the N4 at the little town called Malalan. Malalan, one of the gates to Kruger that we've covered slightly on the other yes. on yeah. the other ones. And it is one of the most fertile areas in South Africa. Subtropical fruits, you've got mangoes, leekies, papayas, you've got all sorts of plantations, sugar cane down there as well. It's a, sort of the end of the KZN sugar cane. When you go yes. north of Durban at sugar cane, Swaziland is miles and miles and miles of sugar cane. And then you you get the last bits and pieces of sugar cane. Just just as an interesting little aside. In in Eswatini in Swaziland, there's actually a sugarcane museum. Oh, they've okay. actually got a, 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 a little place called that little place called Tabankulu. They've actually got a little sugarcane museum, which is which is kind of cool because the sugarcane industry again is a is a very very interesting, very interesting um, way of farming as well. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so the, those are the two main roads out of the northern side. As you hit the the western border of Swaziland, you've got. One little border post called the Bulembu border post, which is off the road from a place called Pig's Peak. And it's actually quite interesting. Mm. Pig's Peak was also the mining town named after a guy by the name of William Pig. Okay. And by pure, by pure fluke, and it's one of these stupid little pieces of history that he actually married a lady who's had the surname of Hogg. So <laughs> oh, my soul. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's uh, yeah. That's just, interesting. It's, on, it's on no significance. It's just it's just one of those little fun things. Hog and pig. Hog and pig got together, <laughs> and I'm not sure how many piglets they had, but uh, <laughs> the three little pigs. <laughs> Maybe there were three little pigs. That's in where the story comes <laughs> from. <laughs> but uh, from Pig's Peak, and I remember the one time I had a, a an American client who desperately was in Joburg. He desperately wanted to go and visit Swaziland at that stage. Yeah. Got hold of me. I put a price. He said, "Fantastic! Pick you up in the morning. Let's go." And we literally had a, I think it was a two-nighter. So out of Johannesburg into Swaziland, spent a day in Swaziland. The next day we were heading out, and I said, "Right, let's let's go out the northern side." And I suddenly got the idea. Well, let let's head out through the Bulembu border post. Now, Pig's Peak to Bulembu is a terrible, terrible dirt road. It's logging okay. trucks and really windy through the mountains. You're in seriously mountainous terrain there. Yeah. So when it's muddy, it's slippery. And the poor guy, I'm sure he thought I was trying to hijack him or sell him into slavery or something because he had big wide open <laughs> eyes next to me as we were driving down this road. He just didn't trust it. You could see he just didn't trust what I was doing. And I kept on saying, oh, relax, relax. You know, it's a really nice road. You're going to get into Barberton. And then once you're in Barberton, Barberton's a really nice little town. Again, yeah, and then, then we're going to get back into Johannesburg. And eventually we hit the border post. 
And then, then, then at, at the border post, the border post is dead quiet. We're the only car there. We go through the border post to yeah. hit the tar road. Suddenly, we're back in South Africa. I actually see him visibly relax that I wasn't sending him into some little weird spot in the back end, back end of Swaziland. Oh, brilliant. Um, but Bulembu is an old mining town, and the mining is shut down there. It was an asbestos mine. So, of course, asbestos now is no longer mined. Um, it's a horrible, a horrible fibery, that fibery um, mineral. Yeah. So, mi- so the miners shut down. But there is still a little museum and stuff in Bulembu. But the interesting part is now, as we go on this road, as you hit the border post at Bulembu, you actually hit the R40. Now, the R40 is one of the main arterial roads that runs up through Mpumalanga. So from Bulembu, it goes right through Barberton. Barberton oh, gets yes. right through to Mbombela or now Nalspreite, White River. And then it carries on up through Hazy View, right up through Bushbuck Ridge, etc. So that's the main one of the main arterial roads out of there. But the fascinating thing of that from Bulembu to Barberton, as you drive that road, there's one thing that you that you see, especially is is there's the remnants of an ancient cableway. When the mine was operating, Bulembu, because it's really stuck in the mountains, had a supply problem. They put in a oh. cableway, and it was one of the longest aerial cableways in the world, all the way through to Barberton. Oh, wow. And the thing traveled like 45 or 50 kilometers over the mountains. Jeez. And all the supplies for the mine would come through on these, like, big buckets Yeah. on this cableway. And on weekends, the staff would actually use it. Oh. So the staff would climb in the buckets, and they'd go, <laughs> go across the mountains and the cableway, land up in Barberton, do their shopping, and then get back on the... On the <laughs> In the buckets oh, and wow. go back to the mine for, for work the next week. Yeah. And it was faster, quicker, easier, and obviously a lot cheaper than driving your own car there because the road is incredibly windy through the mountains. Yeah. But what is really, really cool on that road is the geology in that area <laughs> is beyond spectacular. You are traveling through some of the oldest rocks visible in the world. Oh, it's, it's a geological marvel. It's like one of the bucket list places for geologists to actually go and have a look. And what makes it so interesting with it is South Africa is, again, it's on the very, very end of what's called the Great Rift Valley. Now, when most okay. people think of the Great Rift Valley, you're thinking about Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi. All those big lakes oh, are yeah. on what is called the Great Rift um, okay. Break. And simply put, if you look at Africa, you've got what's called the Horn of Africa. So you've got bits of Mozambique that go into Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia, form that little yeah. sharp pointy bit just underneath Arabia. Yeah. Then if you look at the map, you've got that whole string of little lakes that go down. Now, from the lakes to the coast is a piece of Africa that actually slammed into the rest of the continent. Okay. So Africa didn't always look the way it is. And that whole piece from Mozambique through Tanzania, Kenya, Ethiopia was a separate island at that stage. And slowly but surely with continental drift, it slammed up against the continent. Yeah. That's why that is where you've got the volcanoes. That's why you've got the lakes there, because it's on that fault line. Yes. And the panorama route has got what's called the Blyde River Canyon. We'll get to the Blyde River Canyon. Is also, it's the very, very end part of the Great Rift Valley. So when you're standing on those mountains... You're actually standing on some of the newest parts of Africa, looking at some of the oldest parts of Africa, and you're looking at a part that's, <laughs> that you were on that used to be looking into the sea, but then million, I mean, you're talking a couple of billion years ago, yeah. and we're talking geological time frames here. But then you're looking at a new piece of Africa with unrelated geology just across the river yes. from, from you. So, you know, when you're standing at the Blight River <laughs> Canyon, for example, and you're yeah. standing on the edge, look at the three Rondavals. You're standing on one piece of Africa, looking at the newest piece of Africa. Yeah. Two yeah. entirely different geologies, all in one spot. Sure. But that entire road from, from the Bulimbu border post right through into Barberton, and they've done a fantastic job with it, and it's relatively new, <clears throat> is they've actually set up 11 different viewpoints. And it's one of our big mining companies sponsored it. <clears throat> and they put up little information plaques and little information stopping places where you can pull off the road and they've got a beautiful little diorama and explains the geology, explains what the rocks are, explains what you're looking at, explains why it, why it is so different. 
So you've got 11 oh. of these little spots in the space of 45 or 50 kilometers. Okay, wow, that's Where awesome. you can stop and, and, and under, try and understand the geology. Yeah. And you can stand on some of those things, and it's called the Makonjwa Barberton Geo Trail. So even if you're just spending a day in Barberton, it's worth just driving to Belembu, turning around and driving back again just for that scenery and for that geological info. And you're looking yes. at, at rocks that are over 3 billion years, years old. old. Oh, my soul. <laughs> and it's, it's one of the only places on Earth where you can actually see that type of rock formation. Okay. And for me, being one of the, for me being um, uh, a biologist, there was one. There's one spot that is of particular interest because there's one that's called the. Um, uh, what was it? It's called the biomats. 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 Now, anybody who's got a bit of biology training or evolutionary training understands that, you know. Two guys by the name of Crick and Watson at one stage did a did an experiment where they mixed up like a soup of <clears throat> proteins and chemicals of what was oh. perceived to be the ancient atmosphere. Okay. Because one of the theories is that this ancient atmosphere had all these building blocks of life and then lightning and several other things happened yeah. and formed the first proteins. And they tried this experiment and it actually worked. And okay. the some of the first very, very first life forms were um, algae, green algae. And oh. eventually these green algae formed big mats and they formed like circles and bubbles and things. And wow. some of those are actually fossilized at one of these spots. Okay. So when you stop at that one, um, you've got these three billion year old rocks, but you've actually got fossilized biomats in yeah. the sandstone. So you so want to tell me I'm, I'm related to you related, algae? You're related to green algae. <laughs> oh my soul! <laughs> he, you have come a long way in three billion years, but uh, yeah. yes, you are related to some extent, some extent to a green algae. <laughs> but you know, you're looking at there. You got volcanic rock because of that 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 split of the of the Grapefruit Valley. You got volcanic rock. You got these ancient green stones. You've got these ancient volcanic extrusions there. And then you've got sandstone, sandstone being an indicator of old wetlands or seashores yeah. or, or puddles or whatever. And you've got these biomats that you can see. You can see these algae now in the sandstone at yeah. one of these little spots. So, I mean, wow. you can spend an awesome day exploring that road. Yeah. And never mind that. I mean, you're in some beautiful high mountains. You've got the, the bird life. You've got rainforest. You've literally got some rainforest areas up there. You got views and mountains up there that are just spectacular. Oh. So, as a day trip out of Barberton, sounds amazing. It's it's fantastic. Then you get to this little town of Barberton, and interestingly enough, the first stock exchange in South Africa was actually built in Barberton. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm being totally serious. <laughs> the very very first stock exchange in South Africa was built in Barberton, and. It was established as a little gold mining town already in 1884. Okay. So we're talking pre-Anglo-Boer War. We're talking yes. way pre-Kruger Park times, etc., etc. Yeah. And it was discovered there by a guy by the name of French Bob, Auguste Roberts. He, they called him French Bob because of his French name. Oh. And okay. he discovered gold there already there in 1883. By 1884, a guy by the name of Graham Barber wrote to the Transvaal, Government, Transvaal government, still Paul Kruger is part of you know, the Transvaal. Oh, yeah. And that uh, they'd found payable gold. That is the way it worked. You had to notify the government. The government would then declare what they called the public diggings. Then you yeah. could go to the local mining office. The government was, had to put up a mining office and put a surveyor in place, etc. And you could then go and pay your one shilling or whatever it was and you get your, your claim. Yeah. So Barberton became a real, a real sort of frontier mining town in the mid-1880s. And a place there was called the Sheba, the Sheba Reef Gold Mining Company got set up to do the sort of more heavy work. You know, you're, as, a, as a prospector, as a single guy on your claim, you're very much limited to handwork more or less on the surface. Yeah. But if you've got to go after reefs and you've got to go underground with tunnels and blasting and stuff, you actually need a more formal setup. Yeah. So the, the, the Sheba Reef Gold Mining Company was set up. And because it had shares and stuff, that's sort of the, the origins of that first yes. stock exchange in Barberton. 
And in Barberton, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole gaggle of museums. You've got an ancient hotel. One of, the, one of the cool stories about that hotel is it got so busy that the hotel could actually rent out the billiard table at night as a bed. Oh, hello. <laughs> there were so many miners. <laughs> and then you could rent space on top of the billiard table or you could rent space under the billiard table. Oh, so the hotel soul. seriously seriously okay. made money on absolutely everything, everything that they could. <laughs> they made sure they utilized <laughs> they, all they the space. They utilized everything to get their money out of them. And President Paul Kruger actually stayed in that old Phoenix hotel as well when he came to have a look at what was happening to see, you know, trying to get a grip on, on all this activity yes. in there. There's an old historic um, steam locomotive in town. There's old gas turbines or turbines up in the mountains to generate electricity for the town. You know, And, okay. and some of these little towns, um, for example, in Pilgrim's Rest, which is going to have, an, it's going to have, have, to have its own little episode. Yeah. Pilgrim's Rest, for example, actually installed a turbine in the Blyder River and Pilgrim's Rest had electricity before the city of London. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, there's another, one of the old blockhouses is there in Barberton as well. One of the Anglo-Boer oh, yes. War blockhouses is there. So that memory of the Anglo-Boer War is there. You've got the Belhaven Museum. You've got the Barberton Museum. The very first double-story building in the Transvaal was built in Barberton. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, constructed by Sammy Marks. Sammy Marks. Oh. Who later became very, very famous in Johannesburg. Remember, Barberton yes. was pre-Johannesburg gold. Yeah, not not by long, but by about by two or three years. Yes. But so all the activity happened in Barberton, and as soon as Johannesburg gold was discovered, and people realised that Johannesburg was a much richer deposit, yes. they sort of upped stakes and moved everything to Johannesburg, and then Barberton sort of fell behind, and that's why the, the exchange, the stock exchange, moved to Johannesburg later. Ah, oh, okay. But. Uh, yeah, the the first story that was constructed by Sammy Marks and his cousin Isaac Lewis, and it was a, the Bank of Africa. You got the Stop Force House, you know. So all of those spots are there in Barberton. So Barberton, and of course you've got the statue of Jock. Oh, you've yes. got a, you've got a Jock statue there. Jock, okay. if you read Jock of the Bushveld, you'll read stories about him in Barberton. And of course, there's a war memorial. There's always a war memorial in these places. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Barberton was an interesting spot as well because a lot of the regiments actually used Barberton as a staging and a training post. They would get raised in Johannesburg or Pretoria, they'd move to Barberton, they'd have their training in Barberton, and okay. then, they would, then they would move to Durban to get shipped out. Oh, so there's, there's a couple of memorials to the regiments that, that, that served in Barberton, and I know that a, a couple of the regiments in Johannesburg still go down to Barberton on a yearly basis to, ex, to exercise the freedom of the city. Okay. That's an excuse for a parade and a big party. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but of course it's, 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 keeping, it's keeping that heritage alive. You know, the, yeah. the Transvaal Scottish goes down there and the South African Irish go down there and the bagpipes go and it, with bagpipes and whiskey and it's, it's, it's just generally made, made for a good party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you know, but Barberton tends to be a little bit off what people traditionally think of as, as the panorama route. So if you're doing the panorama route and you're coming out of Kruger, You've got Nalsprate. Nalsprate is sort of the commercial hub and the provincial capital. There's not much to recommend in Nalsprate. I must admit, I've never, I've never really enjoyed Nalsprate. It does, however, have a very, very cool um, botanical garden, the Lowfeld National Botanical Garden. Yes. Beautiful waterfalls, very, very nicely laid out botanical gardens. And you've got a pretty cool, just up the road in White River, you've got the White River History and Motor Museum. Oh, Strange place to have a little motor museum, <laughs> but it's got a, a Ford Model T, it's got a Willy Overland, it's got a very rare Jaguar SS100. Oh, wow. So okay. yeah, in the middle of in the middle of of, of Nelsprite. Yeah, a little bit off the track. You've also got a little down, a little bit further down to the east. You've got Carps of Whoop. It was also a little mining town again pre 1882. Little mining town in Carps of Whoop. They've got. Um, one of the, one of the old um, mining commissioners' houses is sort of a little bit mini 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 museum in Carps of as well. Carps of Hoop now is more and more known for its bird watching, and uh, up in those Montani forests, I've got a couple of the rarer bird species up that side. So they're building up a nice little industry in that area of of bird watching. Yeah. 
Well, I say we're about halfway. You want to stop there for a moment and we'll go listen to some music? Well, maybe one last little spot, just north of Cobbs. Yes. When, you, when you're coming in towards Nelspreit and you're on the N4, just a little way off, you've got the Sudwala Caves. Oh, yes. Now, yes. the Sudwala Caves, also myth and legend and all sorts of stuff. And you'll see if you, if you take the tour into the cave, there's been areas and bits and pieces dug up. Rumor had it that part of the Kruger Millions was was buried was in the Sawala Caves, <laughs> stashed in there. What's kind of cool there, though, is that you've got the little dinosaur park. Oh, and they've got like replicas of dinosaurs. You know, they've, they've yeah. made they made replicas. That, that's that's pretty cool to walk through there, and it's actually quite realistic because a lot of the plants there are the cycads and fern trees and palm trees and stuff. You know, yes. so when you walk there, it actually looks kind of real when you see this dinosaur with its yeah. head sticking out of the back end of a of a of a cycad. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so we said, okay, we've hit, we've hit White River, Kapsuherb, Sudwala. Yeah, no, after that, yeah, no, we're cool. We had a good break point here in the, in the panorama route. Okay, let's go listen to some nice country rock. I think that's a good one. Okay, and we are back on the road trip show here on Radio Eco Health. Dietrich, where did we leave off? Uh, yeah, where, where were we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me get back on my map here. Let me get back on my map here. Yeah, we quickly had so a We're just stop. on Sudwala Caves, that's right. We were, we were just driven through to the Sudwala Caves. Now, that the area north of that sort of line is characterized by the Blight River Canyon, you've got a whole gaggle of little waterfalls as well, beautiful waterfalls. But what is so interesting with the waterfalls is that they are almost on an exact straight line along one geological feature again. So there's one little line of escarpment and all these waterfalls seem to be on, on them. But I think we need to start a little bit over, further over towards, towards the west where we now hit two towns which are... Of, of, of quite historical interest, you've got one called Urachstadt, which used to be called Andries Urachstadt. And then just to the south of it, you've got Leidenburg, Leidenburg. Now, Urachstadt was one of the first four-tracker towns to be established in what is now Pumalanga. It was set up by um, 18, 1845. Okay. Yeah, that's quite and early. That's that, you know, 1838, the Fort Trekkers leave, yeah. leave the, the Cape Colony. 1845, they've now moved through and they're now settling in Mpumalanga. I mean, look, a beautiful farming area. It's a nice rainfall. It's beautiful escarpment. So you can understand why they wanted to settle in those areas. Plenty yeah. of water, lots of perennial rivers. But Orastat, they chose it really, really badly <laughs> because it's on a little bit of a floodplain. And within the first two years, like 40 or 50% of the population had died of malaria. Oh. And at that point, they hadn't yet got the link between mosquitoes, water, and malaria. Yeah. And an interesting little aside is one of our acacia species is called the, the fever tree, that beautiful acacia with the yellow oh, bark. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, in Afrikaans, it's called a koersboom. Yes. And the link with that, and they were very close to it, because those fever trees grow in low marshy wetlands. Yes. And the belief was that those trees actually gave you malaria. Oh. Because whenever they camped close to those trees, people would get <laughs> malaria. And if you look at the origin of the word malaria, it's mal aria, bad air. Ah. Oh. And the thought okay. was that if you camp near those trees the trees were giving off bad air and you were breathing it and you would get malaria from the air around those trees. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. <laughs> and obviously, you know, look, in the 1840s, 1850s, nobody made the link between water mosquitoes, parasites yeah. and, and malaria. Yes. So it's just an interesting little aside. But so Andres Orastat was a bit of a failure. There's a very, very interesting little footricker graveyard just outside Andres Orastat or outside of Orastat. And it's kind of sobering when you walk through there. They've, they've actually put the old Fortrecker gravestones in like a little mausoleum thing under the shape of an old ox wagon. Oh, okay. And 
the gravestones very crudely made hacked out of like a kind of sandstone stuff and you can see the name scratched in there all oh. from it all died 1845 1846 1847 youngsters babies children yes you know of malaria so they re- they soon realized that they had to pack up and and move out of there and that's where they moved f- slightly further south to to the town of leidenburg now leidenburg leider in dutch means suffering so that's where the name oh. comes from they thought well after all that they'd gone through this whole trick they'd gone over they'd fought and they'd moved and they'd gone through so much to eventually settle in their town to then be hit with that last malaria plague as the last bit of suffering so they commemorated that i mean the afrikaans they they had a really sort of somber kind of mentality coming out there (laughs) you know calling it their their new capital city the town of suffering leidenburg Leidenburg. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is so ironic (laughs) but leidenburg's got a couple of really really interesting little spots as well um, you've got an old Fortrick church there. You've got an old, the front of the first schools in the Transvaal is to be seen in town there. Leidenburg settled in 1849. So it took them four years, 1845 in Orastat to 1849 to move into um, Leidenburg. There's a, there's a graveyard in Leidenburg that is, again, it's a, it's a nice little conglomeration history. You've got Fortrecker graves. You've got Anglo-Boer war graves. You've got, yeah. you know, all down in the bottom end of town. What is, however, very interesting, if you're going up the road now towards the Long Tom Pass, on the left-hand side is you've got a place called the Gustav Klingenbiel Reserve. And the old Leidenberg Museum moved out of town and is now, well, the last time I visited it, was actually put into that little reserve. That's a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) And the most interesting part of this is a display they've got there, what they call the Leidenberg Heads. Oh, yeah. And... Southern Africa never really had any indigenous culture that had any kind of what we call a mask culture. Yes. When you get up further north, when you get into Zimbabwe, you get up onto the Zambezi River, that's when you start getting that mask kind of culture with the dances and the spirituality dances. Yes. And, but South Africa never really had that mask culture. And yet here in Leidenburg, we discovered what we call the Leidenburg Heads which okay. are, are little clay stylized faces and heads, not really big enough to put over, over anybody. But so they, the, the, yeah. they, it could be that it's a, the, the top of a ceremonial post or something, or maybe part of some kind of special enclosure. But the Leidenberg heads are a little bit of a mystery and a little bit of one of these tiny little anomalies yeah. that no one's really worked yes. out. And they are, they are on display in, in that museum. And the other spot that I found really interesting that very, very few people know about is if you get out of Leinenburg um, and you, you head out on, on the R37, you actually get, you've got to know where it is. And Leidenberg Publicity Association has got one or two little booklets that you can get from them, is the Bocconi Boomplatz Rock Art. It's on private land. Okay. It's, for whatever reason, I don't understand why it's not really seriously heavily protected or put onto some kind of national monument. But you've probably got a hectare of petroglyphs. Now, a petroglyph is where somebody sat for hours and hours and hours and chiseled out little patterns in rocks. Oh, yes, yes. So petroglyphs could be a picture of a giraffe or a lion or just circles or patterns or whatever. Yeah, and there's you. You got to go down a little dirt road. You got to open up one or two farm gates. It is accessible. You're allowed to go there. It is on private land, and then suddenly you're in this field of literally a couple of hundred petroglyphs. Oh, yeah, okay. And again, no one's quite sure who, what, where. The Bocconi, a, a pre-colonial agro-pastoral society of some description, and they presumably. Um, somewhere around the 1500s to the 1800s were around that area. So probably pre-Fortrecker. But it's a kind of interesting speculation to think maybe there's still some other link to the Palabora guys that we spoke about, that whole, you know, the the, the great Zimbabwe influence coming down, Kruger Park area. Who knows what kind of link that is. But what does come out on this quite quite interestingly enough is a little way up the road from from Urastat and from Leidenberg you've actually got the Echo Caves oh yes I've heard of those the Echo Caves and 
they were discovered in inverted commas. Somebody always discovered them a hell of a lot longer before he did, but they were discovered in inverted yeah. commas by the owner of the farm in 1920. And he stumbled across these caves when he was looking for some, some cattle that got lost, and he found the cattle lurking in this nice little shady cave thing. And they are actually some of the, the oldest cave systems in the world. And it's called the Echo Caves because the speculation is they wanted one of the stalactites was used as a kind of drum, as a warning system. Okay. So you'd have a lookout standing at the, and should there be some danger or something happening, you take a rock and bang on the stalactite and it sort of reverberates down into the cave and everybody would oh. disappear down the passages and disappear. But one of the legends of that area is that traders dressed in white robes actually came and traded with that community for gold. Okay. And it's just interesting to tie that up. Trader in white robe, I would immediately go Arab. Ku Klux Klan. Well, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I immediately go Arab. Yeah. I then go, you've got the Arab slave trade down the East Coast. You've got the yes. Bapala Borwa at the Maserini Museum we spoke about in Kruger with the little glass beads yeah. and that kind of trading. Oh, yes, I remember that, yeah. And now just a little way down the road now, you've got this legend, not proven, it's absolute local legend of people dressed in white robes trading there for gold. Yes. So there must be a link There's got to be some. There's got to be some link tying, tying this, whole thing, this whole thing together. I mean, that, that stuff just, uh, just, uh, just, just fascinates me. Yeah. But that's now if you're heading out north out of Leidenburg. But if you take the, the Long Tom Pass in Leidenburg... Again, one of, the, one of the most scenic, spectacular roads. It's the road from Leidenburg directly into Sabi. At the top of the pass, you actually got the replica of the Long Tom Cannon. Oh, yes, yes. And now the, the Long Tom Cannon, Paul Kruger, at the time of the discovery of gold and the whole political upheaval with the English and the Eightlanders and the Jamison Raid and the whole lot, saw that war was coming. So he purchased cannons from France. And he, he bought a couple of these creosote, what they called long tum or siege fortress guns. Yes. <clears throat> and the Transvaal artillery had four of these guns. So that's where the pass got its name. That's where the pass got its name from. And the long tom, the name long tom was given to these guns by the British because of the length of their barrels. Yeah. So for the time, for its time, it was a, it was a very, it was the most advanced artillery piece yeah. that, that you could that you could buy. And the long toms were used in Ladysmith. They were used on the top of the Long Tom Pass. They were dragged around the country by a couple of the generals. Louis Boerter had to drag one of these guns around the, around the country as well until during that first phase of the war, which was still a conventional type of warfare. And eventually, yeah. after the Battle of Bergendal in August 1900, they considered that to be the last conventional set-piece battle that's when the Boers or the Afrikaners moved into that guerrilla phase yes. of the war, which changed the entire face of warfare. Yeah. But it's an interesting little aside in that for the first time in history, the long tom there was used to actually fire over the heads of the infantry. Okay. Normally, up until then, and if you go into Modder River, you go into the Siege of Ladysmith, the tactics of the British is you do the advance, but the guns get run out in front, the guns shoot their barrage, the guns then get pulled back, and the infantry then advances. Yeah. Um, probably for the safety of the infantry, because sometimes the, the safest thing to be when the artillery fired was actually to be the target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and again, because they didn't have the range, but for the very, very first time in military history, the Long Tom on Long Tom Pass was used to fire at the British over the heads of the Boers that were, that were drawing the British down the Long Tom Pass. Yeah. So the entire tactics of artillery and infantry changed during, during that little episode as well. <clears throat> now, just north of the Long Tom Pass, you now start this little string of waterfalls. You've got the Horseshoe Falls, you've got the Lone Creek Falls, you've got the Bridal Veil Falls, which you take little dirt road detours through and it's in all in and around um, the town of Sabi. So you can spend a very, very pleasant day going through those forests and this beautiful forest, this beautiful mountain scenery. 
the, the you know there's there's birds there I've, I, on those roads i've seen what's called the samango monkey which is one of our most rarer oh. types of of monkeys okay that are only found in the sort of the mountainous and tropical forest kind of areas you see some of the weirder birds the the luries up there and um then you get into sabi Sabi, interesting little town, but what makes it the most interesting is you've got a forestry museum. Okay. There's a little, in, little, little museum explaining the entire forest, because as you drive those areas, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of hectares planted in eucalyptus and in pine trees. Okay. So that's one of our major, major industries. Mm. Eucalyptus mm. initially used to make mine props for the mines in Johannesburg. Yes. Eucalyptus is still used in construction. All our thatch-roofed bungalows and lodges and stuff, all of that is eucalyptus wood. Pine, the pine trees mostly used for, for wood chippings for export out of Richards Bay to the Far East. Furniture, you know, the tongue groove ceilings, that yes. kind of stuff. Then you get to the Macmac Falls. Uh, the Macmac Falls, interesting little name there, in that President Thomas Burgers came through. Burgers was pre-Kruger. Yes. Now, okay. he apparently came through to see what this whole hoo-ha was with all this mining. Because I understand now you've got Leidenberg, you've got Barberton, you've got Jeppe's Reef, you've got all, yes. these, all these little places with mining and gold and there's mine fever happening. And he came on an inspection tour. And at some stage he gets to this little spot and he asks to see the manifest of who's all got claims. Yes. And so many Scottish names on there, Mac, McDougal's and McDonald's and McTown McIntosh's and make this and make that. He christened the place Mac Mac. <laughs> Mac Mac. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and it used, to, it used to be a single stream waterfall, but the miners there actually dynamited the river trying to change the flow and get at some of the reef. And now, it's, and now you've yeah. got two, you've got a double, double lip and double, double waterfall on Mac Mac. Ah. <laughs> Coming out of Mac Mac, your, your next main town is Graskop. Graskop, originally a little staging post for the ox wagons. You've got a beautiful pass down, Covain's Pass, down now towards Hazyview White River area, which was the main wagon route. Yes. At the time, to get up through, you would come up Graskop and then bend around to get to Leidenburg with the ox wagons. The Long Tom Pass, I don't think, had... had uh, was it was it was a rougher pass to get through on the long time pass there are still places where you can see the old ox wagon ruts as yes. well where the, the ox wagons with the steel bands on the outside are actually worn they've worn channels in the rocks oh, and you can okay. stand there and you've got to look at this and you go man this guy's got a two three four five ton ox wagon he's got 14 or 16 oxen trundling up this hill and that's, that, that must have been hard work. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, was, that, must, have that must have been hard graft. must have been crazy. But Graskop is a stunning little town right now. <clears throat> There's a whole gaggle of little restaurants there. You've got to stop for the pancakes in Graskop. That's an obligatory <laughs> lunch stop. You've got to stop for the pancakes, pancakes. in Graskop. Um, other than that, Graskop doesn't have much. However, there's one view site there where they've now got what they call the, the gorge lift. Because Graskop is now right on the edge of the escarpment. Yes. So okay. you get north out of Graskop, you actually hit the panorama route. <clears throat> if you go south, you're now going down the escarpment. You're either going to get to Sabi or you take the other road and you're getting down towards Hazy View over the Covains Pass. Yes. But right on that escarpment, you get the most magnificent views. And in Graskop, you've got what's called the Gorge Lift. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relatively new, new attraction. But it's literally, it's a lift. You get into the lift and you, and you trundle down into the gorge. And you've got beautiful walkways and pathways in the rainforest. Is it in, a lift? It's a lift. Lift, lift. Heisbach lift. Okay. <laughs> Proper lift. Okay, so it's not a cable car. No, not no. a cable car. You, they are, you can do a gorge swing and you can do a zip line across and all the rest of that stuff for the more adventurous, if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as you come out of Graskop, you've got a couple, of, couple more waterfalls as you're getting out of Hraskop. But then your main attractions there is God's Window. Oh, yes, of course. You've got Wonderview and God's Window, which are very, very close together. God's Window is, is a slightly more... You actually stand like in a little chasm where you've got a limited view. So it looks like you've got a framed view of the low felt, whereas yes. Wonderview, you're right at the edge and you've got a 180-degree view yes. out over towards the east. Now, you're standing at 1,700-odd meters, um, on on that escarpment edge, yeah, and the the view down on a clear day, you can see clear into Kruger. 
You can wow. see the hill at Numbi, at Numbi Gate. Gee whiz. Okay. <laughs> so you got to, you get in the most stunning view sites, but you know, as as luck would have it, whenever you're driving out of Graskop and you come out of town, you get this like it's a little loop road that takes you to the view sites. You've got the pinnacle, you've then got God's window and you've got Wonder View. The pinnacle is just a bit of weird geology. It's a funny little eroded tower. So all the sandstone okay. is eroded around it and left like a like a yeah, just a pinnacle. Yeah. A, 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 a tower. A tower, a tower of, of harder <laughs> granite. All of these spots have got little curio markets, okay? So if you're into the carvings and beads and batiks and printed materials and little carved elephants and rhinos and giraffes and yeah, wooden bands. stuff and beads and necklaces, they're yeah. all over the place there. And it's kind of cool because that, that's actually kind of real stuff. It's not imported from China. Yes. So those 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 views are, are absolutely spectacular. But... It's, it's always a, a bit of a touch and go. I think in all the years I've been doing it, I've missed it probably three times. Where because it's the highest point, it's always where the clouds settle. The yes. first cloud to form in the entire Pumalanga sits on top of on top of God's window. Yes, <laughs> it just will. <laughs> yeah, I've been there a time when that happened. It just will be there. Yeah. Now, on the on the other road that comes out of of Leidenberg, however. There's one spot that very, very few people know about, and it's General Skulk Burger's grave. Oh, yeah. Now, 90% of people, when you talk about General Skulk Burger, they go, who was General Skulk Burger? Not exactly a well-known name in South African's history. Yeah. But he was actually the last acting president of the South African Republic. Oh, okay. So he was Paul Kruger's... Two IC, and he was vice president of the Transvaal. Okay. And when Kruger eventually had to flee the, the Republic, and he got his trip down to then Lorenzo Mars to be picked up by the Dutch ship, the Gelderland, that was sent by by Queen Wilhelmina. Yes. Um, he had to leave somebody in charge. Yes. So Skulk Berger was actually the last president. Of the South African Republic. Now he's buried there in the Goedgedags Farm Farm Cemetery in a place called um, Krugersbos, okay. and he was actually there at the signing of the peace treaty of Vereniging and is at the signing in Malrose House in Pretoria. Okay, and just an interesting one that nobody actually remembers him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very important, very important role. Yes, but. Um, he just didn't, yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just not, not remembered. Yeah, he was more in the background. Yeah. It There's one or two like. other interesting little spots because now, as you leave God's window and you're carrying on up, you're carrying on up the, um, the road now for what's still the, the sort of the remnants of the, of the panorama route. And you then hit a little monument memorial called the Trichat Potgieter Monument. It's a little bit okay. destroyed now, but it's a little brick, a little stone wall and a replica of an ox wagon wheel in there. Now, the Trichot Potgita were the, the group of the foot trekkers that went through that area. Now, when you drive that road and you look at the countryside, it's rocks and mountains and cliffs and waterfalls. You can imagine it's a heck of a job to take your ox wagon through that lot. Yeah. Okay. So at some stage... They were trying to scout for a route over the escarpment now, trying to get into the low felt. So they, they left a group of foot triggers camped there, and they sent out a little group of riders now to do a recce and find, find a route. Yes. Now, they stayed away so long that the guys sitting at the campsite thought, well, by now they are dead or they are gone or, or lost <laughs> lost or killed or something <laughs> and that's why they called that little stream where they camped the trier refir trier refir the river of sadness yeah so at some point they then decide to up stakes and um they pack up and they move and they carry on but these guys come back okay and they have a reunion now at the later river at the happy river. <laughs> the happy river. The happy river. river. So you got the sad river and the happy river. 
<laughs> yeah, there we so go. So that's where those and that's where the Blyder River Canyon names come from. Okay. The Happy River Canyon. Yeah. And where these two rivers meet, you get the Burks like potholes. Yeah. And it's an interesting one again because that area, as we've said, is sort of the meeting place of this old piece of Africa that crashed against the new piece of Africa. Yes. You've got granite, you've got sandstone, you've got all sorts of bent rock formations. And these two rivers happen to come together in an area of sandstone. But because of the geology, the rivers carry down rocks made of much harder stuff, of granite. Yeah. And with the swirling of the water, these harder rocks actually drilled holes in the sandstone. Oh, okay. You know, so yes. as the river's tumbling and turning, the rock is turning. And because it's harder, it acts like a drill bit and creates all these beautiful yeah. holes and tunnels and stuff, which now caused the Burke's Luck potholes. Yeah. Burke's Luck. Awesome. Because a prospector thought he was going to be lucky and he thought he was going to be able to find gold there. Apparently, he didn't find much. And it's now just a bit of a national park. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a provincial park. But again, it's interesting that you got that, you got a bit of the Fort Trekker history that's even coming through in that area with Trichart and Portgita, the two, two of the more well known um, Fort Trekker leaders. Yeah. And then, of course, your last sort of stop on that, on that area is the viewpoints over the Blight River Canyon. Now, the Blight River Canyon is, at this stage, I think it's still the third biggest canyon in the world, after the Grand Canyon and the Fish River Canyon. Grand Canyon, obviously, in the U.S., and the Fish River Canyon in Namibia. But what makes it interesting, it's the largest green canyon in the world. Okay. The other ones are desert. Yes. So that's just rocks and sand and pretty colors, whereas this is forest. Yes. And... It's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful canyon. There was a hiking trail through there that I did many, many years ago. And you actually got almost rainforest, tropical. If you can imagine Tarzan rainforest is what you've got in the bottom of that canyon. So you've got a couple of beautiful spots to stop and and look out over the canyon. The last one is called the Three Rondavals. For those international listeners, a Rondaval is the South African name for a little round hut with the grass roof on it what, we, what yeah. we call thatch roof on it so when you stand at the three rondavals there's actually a little there's mountain formation that looks like three of these little huts sitting ah. right right next to each other okay and that's where it gets its name from and you can go right up to the edge it's just a spectacular view of the blight river in the canyon that it had the, the river has been dammed so there's normally quite a bit of water down at the bottom there but looking through the gap, you're then looking out over the low felt right up north. You can and you're heading getting to the funny little granite outcroppings and copies there towards towards Palabora. Yeah. And on the road back, if you're now travelling back from from that area and you're coming through and you're going through what's called the JG Stradom Tunnel. And that's again one of my favorite roads. It's a beautiful road from Urastat. If you're heading up north through to Palabori, you go through the Stradom Tunnel. And as you're going through on the on the edge of the cliff, you, you'll see this little market just as you get to the tunnel. Little yeah. parking place. It's worth getting out of your car there and turn and look back up the pass, and you'll see this little waterfall. Yeah. And it's called a Tufa waterfall. A what? Tufa. T-U-F-A. Tufa, Tufa. waterfall. And okay. there's, we know of three in South Africa. And what makes it unique is a waterfall normally erodes the ground underneath it. Yeah. Whereas a tufa waterfall, the water is very, very rich in, in minerals. Okay. And because it's rich in minerals, there's a lot of plant and algae growth in the water. Yes. Now what happens is the algae extract the minerals out of the water okay. and deposit the minerals underneath them. So the waterfall actually grows. Oh, wow. So it's a reverse waterfall. (laughs) So it actually builds this rock underneath it. You can see it. It's like a very funny, bubbly kind of porous rock. It almost looks like a pumice kind of stone. Okay, pumice stone is something else. It's volcanic. But the minerals are extracted from the water and deposited by the algae behind the waterfall. Yeah. So it actually grows out um, and, and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just a very interesting one. There's one there, and we know of one down in the bottom of um, the Blight River Canyon. And I'm just trying to think. We actually listed the third one on on uh, 
on our app. I'm just going to have to search for it because we, we literally yeah. found it a couple of weeks ago to add to, okay. to our app. And yeah. I will pick it up right now. It is out. There we go. It's out um, just north of Kimberley. There's another one between Kimberley and Freiburg. Okay. Is another two for waterfall. Yes. So it's not restricted to the highlands or the <coughs> tropical areas. It's just a funny combo of very, very rich mineral water going over waterfalls with enough sunshine and out that particular kind of algae yeah. growing in there. So, so guys, that's more or less your panorama route. We can hit the northern part of the panorama route next time, or we'll find some other interesting part of South Africa. But that panorama route, you can easily spend a couple of days driving around, exploring lots of hikes, lots of walks, waterfalls, bird watching, all sorts of stuff, lots of history museums and stuff. And for the geology boffins, right through that, the, the, you're at the bottom end of the, of the Great Rift Valley. It's an absolute treasure trove yeah. of stuff to go look at there. Awesome. Yeah, and I see our time is up. And time's up already. And that was so lacquer. I really enjoyed enjoyed <laughs> that one. Awesome. Thank you, Diedrich. And uh, yeah, I'll see you back next week. Yeah, only my pleasure. And maybe there's some better news next week where some sanity has prevailed and aeroplanes are coming back into South Africa yeah. so that everybody can come and enjoy what we got <laughs> and not these ridiculous travel bans. Yeah. Please <laughs> get some sanity. Alrighty, I'm going to play out with this uh, number and hope you guys enjoyed that. And you can go check it out on our website uh, when we put it up on ecohealthradio.co.za. One last little thing. Oh, yes. I told you about the University of the Northwest, didn't I? Yeah. Start off with that. Yeah, yes, sorry. Already, already. I'm excited about that. I, I couldn't <laughs> remember. I wanted to, well, if I didn't tell you, I want to tell you again. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Still's lost the conversation at the bar.